This is NBR's Live from the Hive, a compilation of the week's top stories straight out of the beehive. Do you have something to add? Head over to nbr.co.nz and join the discussion. Beehive banter, and what a busy beehive fortnight it's been, and so much banter. Attack, 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 if it's not anti-government attacks, it's Winston attacking, well, pretty much everybody. Even before the official opening of Parliament, attacks from world media on the changes to anti-smoking. We won the COP28 Fossil of the Day Award over the government's repeal of offshore oil exploration ban. Te Pāte Māori organised that North Island protest against the government and a leak from the very first Cabinet meeting of the new government. Brent Edwards, Christopher Hipkins in the House last week said the most symbolic beginning of any government in New Zealand history. It's hard to argue with that, isn't it? Well, no, not that hard. Uh, I oh. don't know if it's the most symbolic. I mean, cl- clearly the opposition... It's pretty symbolic. Clearly the opposition would say so. Well, not really. I mean, to be honest, the government is getting through its agenda quite quickly at the moment in this, in this first week or two of Parliament, although it's a pretty easy agenda to do because you're actually just scrapping things rather than actually yeah. at this stage putting up your own propositions per se. But, um, you know, you'd expect a degree, any new government is always teething problems and the like, and particularly when you're a coalition. But, but not uh, within the first week well, or so of the government. I mean, the well, protests... Like look, hang on, we've got resignations, we've got, what, three cabinet leaks, um, and... And more protest planned. Well, when we talk about cabinet leaks, I think they're more leaks, more likely from the public service, you know, rather than from... I mean, if they're coming from ministers, then OK, that's a serious issue. But I don't think there's any evidence yet to suggest that that's the case. No, but there's You've still... Got pro- hey, when was the last time you had, you had leaks of what's going on in cabinet within the first week of a new government? Well, I'd have to go back and look at every new government going back for a okay, however you leak long... can <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, not not helpful to the government, but I, I think to sort of sort of draw up a line somehow that this is a government something falling apart and completely chaotic, you know, that's going over the top. They're actually doing the stuff they want to do. Um, so, you know, and the protests, yes, I mean, it was interesting that you know, Prime Minister Christopher Luxon sort of thought it was all a bit unfair, et cetera, et cetera. But yes. I mean, you had to expect that when you're undoing a lot of things the previous government put in place, which clearly well, had the support of different constituencies, whether it was Maori, unions or others, when you're going to turn those around and scrap them, clearly you are going to upset some people who will protest. A lot of people. That's right. Yeah. Um, well, also now, since then, Reserve Bank changes, road speed changes, fair pay agreements already gone, Winston acting as PM for one day, and what a day that was. <laughs> he must be smiling all the way, is he? Oh, I'm thinking, I think he's loving life at the moment, having come back from three years yeah. in the wilderness, and he, he likes to, as he sees it, rub the media's nose in it because he thinks the media completely ignored him, which isn't quite correct. But anyway, there you go. Let, let, I suppose, Winston being Winston. Although, to be honest, as Deputy Prime Minister and Foreign Minister, you know, sometimes some of his comments he might want to think about, well, how do they sound with, the, with those positions by his Do you name. think he really cares? Um, probably not. But, you know, some people might. Um, and it's, it's, it's strange that he, for instance, attacking the media so strongly and yet then he'll go away as foreign minister and talk about the importance of a free press and the importance of freedom and democracy, et cetera, et cetera. You know, he might want to walk to talk. Finance Minister has now just said no to new, to new Cook Strait super ferries. Hmm. Now, I've heard a lot of interviews on this and there is some talk from uh, the rail side that... This may mean you have ferries now with that, that you can't put rail on. Now, what's the point of that? 
Yeah, well, I mean, obviously it throws everything up in the air about what, what might now happen. Bearing in mind, we've had ferry breakdowns and holes in ships and major disruptions in Cook Strait freight. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, something needs to be done. Everyone agrees something needs to be done about the ferries. But also, you know, as, as early as the beginning of this year, we reported from a Treasury paper raising real concerns about the cost. And, and clearly the Cabinet then, the Labor government Cabinet, had real worries. They didn't actually say yes to an increase in money. And I think we've had former ministers now talking yeah, about their concerns. The so, same thing. But, but, but again, yeah. Transrail have turned around and said, even if you get smaller ships, it's only going to make a 7% yeah difference yep. with regard to the infrastructure. Oh, there's a big cost involved anyway, and we had Peter Reedy in last week telling us that irrespective of what happened, within two or three years, the Picton um, terminal had to be done, something, had to be something done about that. So there's a lot of cost involved with or without this particular project. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what that will come out at in the end. And um, But the government and other, obviously, Labor itself has said, you know, the the cost had quadrupled from the initial estimate. So, you know, it is a big increase in costs. And so you can understand with this government particularly coming in and saying it was going to be really tough on spending, how it would balk at saying, oh, yeah, we'll give you another $1.47 billion to complete the project. Well, Auditor General report out criticising infrastructure blowouts of the last government and basically bad accusing them basically of bad bookkeeping. Nicola Willis says the books are in a shocking state. Well, that's proof, isn't it? It wasn't really accusing the government of blowouts. The Auditor-General's report into the New Zealand Upgrade Programme... Criticising infrastructure blowouts. He he criticised the management of the investments, the decision-making about in terms of trying whether it was getting best bang for buck, whether it was carefully monitored enough. And so those were the issues he raised. I mean, it does come down to spending and, and certainly the, the government, the, this government will use that to point to their criticisms of the previous government's approach to spending because clearly the Auditor-General has found that the, the um, sort of measures around it weren't robust enough when the government made decisions about where it was Lack going to spend KPIs. that trill- well, that's something the Nats want to bring back lack, in. Well, yeah, it was a, it was lack of taking advice, a lack of looking at all of the risks, and so a lack of everything. And because the government basically bought that in in terms of a, a looming then economic slowdown, which was then exacerbated by the pandemic, which had led to the um, shovel ready program as well, which got criticised. Decisions, in the Auditor General's view, were made far too quickly. And as a result, some of them weren't the best decisions that could have been made. This decision of Nicola Willis, what should other government departments take out of the quickness of this decision? Well, you know, it is a quick decision for this government, but officials have been looking at this issue all year and have been warning the government from, as I say, from late last year yeah. about the post, these over cost overruns and their concerns that the Kiwi Rail was going to want a lot more money. Well, Grant Robertson just sits there and goes, well, not my so, problem now, So I it? think the Treasury would have given fairly clear advice, don't fill yeah. up with money. But I think, sorry, the message for other agencies is you're going to have to put up a very, very robust argument for why any money should be spent. Yeah. Maori very unhappy to the point that uh, we filed for an urgent tribunal hearing over government policies and also now the far north Maori Waitangi final decision saying hand all government land back as a starting point, wanting major compensation and more. Paul Goldsmith's got his hands full, hasn't he? Yeah, he, he has got his hands filled and, of course, he's faced criticism in his role because of comments he'd made some time ago about colonisation and maybe there were benefits of that. But he's, work, he's worked yeah. in this area before. He has worked in this area before. Uh, it's going to be an interesting one for the government over stuff 
you know, like the settlements. It's always interested me around settlements because, you know, you've got, for instance, you know, David Seymour and Winston Peters and that saying, we're all equal citizens, we should be treated exactly the same. Well, in the case of these treaty settlements, if you've found that property has been taken, you know, wrongly from what have you, yeah. if we as non-Maori New Zealanders in a commercial sense would expect to get everything back, right? Yes, Okay, well, in the case of treaty settlements, Māori have not got everything back. They've got That's a right. very tiny, small proportion back as some sort of settlement process. You don't get any argument from me. And so that's going to be interesting. If, you, if you're going to stick with the thing about treat everyone equally, then yeah. maybe those treaty settlements need to be re-looked at and actually a hell of a lot more need be given back. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree. I wouldn't want to be at Waitangi next year. I think Waitangi is, you know, it's always an interesting uh, day, but it will be particularly pointed. Explosive would would be the Uh, word I'm thinking. uh, Well, I think explosive. You know, sometimes we want to be careful about language. I don't mean it boom. I just mean... But I I think there will be some very, very serious questioning of the Prime Minister and other senior government ministers who go up there, presuming they do go up there. Yeah, I was thinking that. Because of those three water changes, now the councils are saying um, rates across the country could be going... Uh, in one case, as high as 31%, a starting point over 20% in Wellington. Cameron Baggery suggesting 25% increases over three years. The government, Brent, uh, promised they were going to tackle inflation and attack high cost of living. A, are they in fact causing more? B, when will we see prices come down? And I don't mean seasonal fruit and veggies, and who can afford this? Who can afford to live in, like, Wellington or these places? Well, with the three waters thing, you know, the, the government's scrapping the yeah. three waters reform that, that Labor brought in. And they're going to do their, what National put up. But, and that's trying to encourage councils to set up their own regional bodies. Yeah, but, but then they'll have to pay for it. And, of course, everyone's and saying, OK, fine, but you've got to get to balance sheet separation so that councils are able to borrow the money needed to invest. But it's no good the government bringing prices down here and there and then you pay 30% more on your rates. Look, whatever happens, whatever happens, someone is going to have to pay a lot of money to fix the water infrastructure in this country. We need a capital gains tax, Brent. Anyway, I don't know why. I said. <laughs> so bearing in mind what we've seen in urgency uh, in the House this week, what is left for Nicola Willis to put in this mini-budget next week? Well, well, none of what's been done in urgency is budget stuff, so, you know. No. But I'm, I'm presuming that she will have something around tax cuts. Now, that'll be the interest. I, I don't know, but what will she pull out? Well, she just say $1.5 billion, what, isn't she? What tax cuts we can expect next year that will come into play, what they'll cost, and clearly what they'll also do with the half-year update is say, look, the book's terrible, book's terrible, and they'll blame the previous government. But yes. much of what is going to be in there, we already know about. I mean, So no these, surprises? Well, you know, we might get some more numbers on them, but, for instance, you know, the, the ferry thing. We've known for a long time there's a cost... Overrun. Yes. We didn't quite know but what. But there's cost overruns on everything. Yeah, we didn't quite know what the dollar figure was. So we got the dollar yeah. figure in terms of what the government yeah. was being asked for. So that that's new, but it's not new in the sense of this thing had run over cost quite a lot, and there were warning bells around, you know how how it would cost the government, and we'll get that on some other projects. So there's no money to pay for nothing. Well, you know, it just you know we've talked about this for a long time. It's successive governments have about the infrastructure deficit. That still stays, and the longer the deficits are there, repairing it gets more and more costly because costs keep on going up. Gosh, you know, pensions, I think. I think we should move it out to 67. No, we can't do that because Winston, oh, never mind. What do you want for Christmas? What are you offering me? Not a lot. Uh, I would like, thanks for asking, <laughs> a quiet build-up to Christmas Day, goodwill, no arguing, generally a relaxing week, but we ain't going to get it, are we? Well, if you have Christmas alone, you'll probably get it. <laughs>
Now, there's a, there's a thought. As usual, thank you for watching and listening. We appreciate it, and hopefully we'll catch you next week. Like what you're hearing? Join the discussion with our member subscribers at our website, nbr.co.nz. The new government's climate change approach is still open to criticism, even as it gets the latest advice from the Climate Change Commission. To talk about that, I'm joined by NBR's political editor, Brent Edwards. Well, Brent, to start, what is the criticism of the new government's climate change policy? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, a a number of climate change activist groups and others, including the now opposition, critical because one of the first steps the government is doing is it's under urgency uh, getting rid of the clean car discount scheme. It's going to um, dump, well, it's getting rid of the ban on offshore oil and gas exploration. It's going to get rid of the uh, the government fund to um, provide subsidies to to big industry to switch industrial heat from fossil fuels, coal and gas, to electricity. So there's a range of initiatives where people are saying, "Hold it, it's going backwards." These mm. these are um, policies that had worked. I mean, and, and people point to, for instance, if you look at the clean car discount scheme the number of electric vehicles and hybrids now being bought and sold in New Zealand, which has gone up you know, quite substantially um, since that scheme came into place. So those are the sorts of things that people point to and say the government's, this government is taking a backward step on climate action. But you know, there's this perception it might be taking a backward step, but it's still committed to existing emission reduction yeah, it, goals, though, isn't it? Is it? It's it's still committed to all those goals, and and it argues that um, it's putting its focus on both the emissions trading scheme, ensuring that that works properly to send the right signals to households and business to to make the changes necessary to cut emissions, um, and it's also going to, as it says, supercharge the. Um, development of renewable electricity projects, largely by freeing up the planning process to make it much easier for those schemes to be built and approved in the first place and and speed up that process so that the amount of renewable electricity um, will increase under under its watch. Um, And I guess on the argument on that basis will be if that's the case, then you won't need to use so much gas and potentially coal uh, in the mix. I guess, you know, it's one thing to make it easier for these energy companies to have these projects consented, right? But, you know, we've seen in the past that some of these companies, they get projects consented and then they sit on them. Is there anything there to sort of encourage these um, these listed, or you know, the big energy companies to actually, you know, accelerate and, and push forward with these projects? Um, well, if you're talking about subsidies or something like that, no. I mean, this government is opposed to any subsidies. I mean, it talks about, you know, it says that businesses and companies and households actually should make decisions, mm-hmm. um, financial decisions based on the kind of economics of it. But that's why it, it, it says it wants to get the ETS into a state where it's sending all the right signals to mm-hmm. households and businesses. And what that would mean, I guess, in that sense for um, energy companies, if the ETS is working properly, then there will be a... Um, an incentive for those businesses and households using electricity to want to be using renewable and paying for renewable energy. Mm. So that presumably might be the argument that would then drive the the profit motive, if you like, Mm. for energy companies to, once they've got their um, approvals, to actually get on and build these renewable energy projects. So the government's obviously 
what are we seeing with its coalition partners? Where are they on some of these well, initiatives that they're pursuing? Well, well, that's the other thing, I guess, for the coalition, for the government, but particularly for National as the, the lead party in the government, is because National's coalition partners are even less committed, if you like, to, to climate action in the sense that for ACT, it just simply sees ETS, that's it. Nothing else. Don't do anything else. Uh, it would get rid of the Climate Change Commission. And this week, we've had the Climate Change Commission give its latest advice to the government um, in terms of what would feed into the second emissions reduction plan. Um, and ACT was absolutely scathing about that and basically calls the Climate Change Commission just a taxpayer funded lobby group and it should be scrapped. So you've got that kind of language and you've got then from the language from New Zealand First, particularly Shane Jones, Deputy Leader and Resources Resources Minister, basically saying that, well, you know, just all this talk about climate change being a crisis is a lie um, and that, you know, we're going to go back to fossil fuels, we're going to do the sensible thing um, and that the sort of targets set up by the previous government, particularly around reducing fossil fuels, were just a dream and they're going to be really realistic. You can see that being quite challenging for the national, for national within this coalition to sort of manage and navigate and against that backdrop, how important will be that next emissions reduction plan? Well I guess the, the next emissions reduction plan will really then set out well, what action is this, this government prepared to take to, to meet those targets. So if it's got rid of the clean car discount scheme, if it's got rid of the, the government industry decarbonisation fund um, and, and those other initiatives, what in its place is going to be effective mm -hmm. at bringing down emissions? So, you know, I think there'll be a lot of debate um, and it'll face, I'm sure, probably quite a lot of criticism around that because at the same time we've had the COP28 conference going on um, over the last couple of weeks uh, a lot of criticism. I mean, the climate change minister Simon Watts has talked about the need for that to, come, you know, to to have come out with a strong statement, particularly on, you know, phasing out fossil fuels. But as people point out, well, at the same time as they're saying that, they're bringing back, you know, offshore exploration for mm. um, oil and gas. So you know, we, where's the consistency? So, you know, that yeah, the emissions reduction plan, which they have to publish by the end of next year. I mean, I think there will be a lot of interest in what's in that plan and how substantive is it going to be in terms of reducing emissions. And obviously then too people will look at well, what will be the profile for emissions because over the last three years emissions have fallen mm. very gradually but it appears that you know we've reached the peak. In the, the, so will that continue or not? That, I mean those will be questions that people will look at. Well, we'll watch with interest. Brent Edwards, thank you. And that's been this week's Live from the Hive. Thanks for listening.